All right, if you would, turn the Bible to Mark chapter 15. Man, that's a really, really good way to move into the, to the preaching. That's a special position that we are in. Last week was the first Sunday in December, and we started a Christmas series that Christ is King. But as I explained last week, we're not, we're not changing passages and getting out of Mark to find some Christmas texts in the Bible, which sometimes we do. But this year, we're at Mark, we've been in Mark, and now we're at the end of Mark, and it's just so good, I don't want us to get away from it. We're right in the middle of it right in the middle of Jesus about to be crucified. And I don't want us to leave it and get to New Year's and try to pick back up with it, so we're gonna stay right here. But it works because the whole conversation that's going on is, is he the king or is he the king or is he not? And that's what's happening, and we're walking through it. And you remember last week, this was the question that the Roman governor Pilate had asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus stood quietly and said, you have said so. And from there, Pilate was just amazed. Didn't didn't get Jesus. Didn't understand all of this. And so, it's going to keep moving forward. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 6. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This doesn't exactly sound like a Christmas passage. Because sometimes we turn Christmas into just baby Jesus. I love baby Jesus. Underneath our Christmas tree right now, we got a Fisher-Price little people set of the nativity scene, and Liliana loves playing with little baby Jesus right there. But the whole purpose of baby Jesus is King Jesus. And the whole purpose of King Jesus is the crucified Jesus, then risen Jesus, and then again, King Jesus. So this passage absolutely is fitting at Christmas time. 
So after Pilate is here in this position of having the responsibility of doing something to Jesus. I said last week that the Jews were not able to kill him, but they wanted him dead. If you were here last week, then you remember that. The Jews wanted him dead. They, they weren't able to kill him. So they handed him over to the Roman government, and the Roman governor, Pilate, he can kill Jesus. He has the power to put him to death. And he doesn't really care about Jesus. But he's stuck in should he or should he not. Well, they normally put to death criminals. And so he starts evaluating Jesus, and he says many times, I don't see anything that he's done wrong. They kept trying to testify all of this evil against him. It says that in so many passages, they were saying all this bad stuff against him, but Pilate kept coming back to, well, your testimonies don't match up. I think y'all are lying. Some of this isn't true. Y'all aren't making any sense. Doesn't really, I don't really see anything wrong with him. Well, then the passage turns to where it is today, and at verse 6, it introduces this idea that here they're at the Passover, and we know that, right? We've already seen them take the, take the meal together. It says they're at the feast, and it says there's this kind of custom where they would release a prisoner each year, which is interesting. I guess the government has the authority to do that, so they'll take a, a guilty criminal in each year, lay a couple of them out there, and say to all the people, they say, hey, which one of these guys you want me to set free? We'll just do it. We've got the power to do it. Why not? And we'll do it. And that's what they're going to do. So he reaches into the prison, pulls out this guy in verse 7. He's among the rebels. He's in prison. It says here he is a committed murderer. John says that he was a robber, John chapter 18. He pulls out this guy whose name is Barabbas, and it says that he was involved in the insurrection. Insurrection is just this big revolt, this kind of rebellion. This was very common in Jesus' day. There'd be a little group of guys. There'd be a little, a little army or just a little uh, a, a, a band of, of gangsters, so to speak, and they would just rise up and go against the government, go against authority, and then next thing you know, there'd be a fight. Some people would be killed, but then they would get taken into custody and put in prison, and that's what Barabbas is. But apparently among the people, maybe that, maybe that group was a group that the, that the people kind of liked. Among the people, they kind of liked Barabbas. And so Pilate chooses him and brings him out. It says in verse 8, and the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. So they're wanting him to let somebody go. So, verse 9, Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. So what Pilate is thinking is, I don't see anything wrong with Jesus. I don't want to kill him. They want me to kill him. I don't want to kill him. So here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. I'll pull a criminal out that, that, that should deserve punishment. And when I do that, I get somebody so bad like Barabbas, and I say, who do you want? Well, the people will say, let's let Jesus go. That's what he was thinking. Pilate was trying to figure out a way to, to get out of this. And that's the setting of our passage today. And you know that it's about to take a turn, and they're going to start screaming, crucify him. You know that Barabbas is who they want to be set free, and they don't want Jesus. That's the story. That's the story. I want to give you three points today and then talk through those. The first is the pressure of leadership. 
the pressure of leadership. The second is the pain of Christ's suffering. And the third is the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. The pressure of leadership, the pain of his suffering, and the penalty of sin. Now, we don't want to miss the big picture here that Christ is uh, being rejected and sent to be crucified. That's the story. But in talking through that, I want to lay these points out for you. And the first is the pressure of leadership, and it really is a big one. Now, obviously, we're looking at Pilate, who is a governor here, and the situation that he is in and his leadership. But I want to remind you, there's a lot of leadership out there, and everybody in the room has leadership, at least on some level. I think the biggest leadership in the whole world is parenting. If you've got some people underneath you, there is more responsibility there than there could be anywhere. But we could go on to teachers and bosses and coaches and all the different types of leadership that there is in the world. We could talk about a leader on a team, a captain. We could talk about a leader in a classroom, the one that speaks up. Leadership is something that we are all familiar with, and the pressures that fall on leaders are huge, and we see this here. I want to remind you that Rome is the strongest empire in the world. Pilate is the governor. Whatever this guy says is what's going to happen. He can do whatever he wants. This is why the Jews have handed Jesus over over to him, because he can do whatever he wants. He has the power to do even what the Jews will not do. And he doesn't really care. And it's his way or the highway, but yet he finds himself here in this position where he's starting to be controlled by the pressure of the masses, the pressure of the people, and and even beyond that, the pressure of the responses of the people. And if we're honest, this is really what the pressure is like in leadership. Most people that have ended up in a leadership position already have the courage to know what is right and do what is right. Where it gets extremely hard is when all the other people out there start talking against you and getting to your ear and the numbers get bigger and the voices get louder. The pressure is what is so very hard. Notice what happens here with with Pilate. Pilate has asked him in verse two, are you the king of the Jews? He says, you have said so. Verse five, it says that Pilate was amazed. Jump down to verse nine, and Pilate says, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. They were jealous of Jesus. This religious leader that had a humility about him that was, that was unparalleled had become more popular than, than, than the Jewish leaders among the Jews, and he thought these guys were just envious. He was right. He knew there was nothing wrong. If you jump down to verse 12, Pilate again said to them, what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? Verse 14, Pilate said, Why? What evil has he done? The other gospels report that Pilate says, I find no fault with him. This man is innocent, and Pilate knew this. What is the responsibility of a leader, a pastor, a police officer, a mom or a dad? What is the responsibility? And folks, I know that leadership is often under strong critique, but let me remind you very simply. 
The responsibility on a leader is to do the right thing no matter what. If you've forgotten that, then be reminded today. If you have any responsibility over you whatsoever, if you handed a $1 bill to your five-year-old this morning because you want to teach them to be a giver and put money in the offering plates, then their responsibility of a five-year-old is to hold tight that $1 bill and see fit that it makes it to that offering plate, right? And anything other than it going to the offering plate is that they have not done the right thing. They need to learn that responsibility and that leadership. Leaders have a responsibility under them to do the right thing no matter what. What that means, what the ramification is, what the consequence is, does not go into determining what you do in any and every situation. Leaders do the right thing. You don't lie if it will cause a better result. You do the right thing. Pilate finds himself in a situation where he has the power to do whatever he wants with Jesus, yet the pressure is so strong. And he comes up with this idea, okay, I'll get a really bad prisoner because if I put it between Jesus, the Holy Son of God, who I don't see anything wrong with him, and this guilty prisoner, and I say, which one are we gonna let free? He thinks for sure that these people, the Jews, will say him, Jesus. You know why? Let me remind you, this is Friday, Good Friday, the day that Jesus is about to be crucified, and it was just five days before Sunday in Mark chapter 11 where we studied the triumphal entry. Now, I know that we're chapter 15 and chapter 11 was a long time ago, but remember the triumphal entry? Do you remember that? When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, do you remember that? Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he was riding on a donkey, and the people flocked to the streets, and they had their palm branches, and they were laying them down, and and everybody was crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, our Savior. Yes, we love this guy, this is Jesus. It was like a parade for Jesus. The people loved Jesus just five days ago. See, when you're a leader, sometimes it's that way, isn't it? Sometimes you think, well, man, this is going to be real easy. I'm just going to set Jesus free. They love him. And you turn around, and next thing you know, it's another day, and now the people have changed their mind on what they think is good or right or appropriate. Leaders can't be swayed by that. Leaders have to have backbones and conviction, and leaders have to understand that I'm not sure what everybody else wants me to do, but I know what God wants me to do. I know what right is, and I know what wrong is, and this is what we're supposed to do. And we see the pressure getting to Pilate, because now Pilate finds himself in a situation where he knows this guy's innocent. He should let Jesus go, but he's starting to be controlled by what everybody else thinks. Look what it says in verse 15. And I hope this hurts your stomach to read this. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd. I hope you read that and you think, that's not a leader. That's not a good leader. If you want to be a leader, you've got to understand there's responsibility. Folks, in parenting, there are times 
when it is the easy thing and the wrong thing to satisfy the crowd. With your kids, it is so easy and so wrong to satisfy the children. My little girl would seriously eat 50 suckers a day if I would let her. My boys would eat a case of Oreos a day if I would let them. They would stay up all night if I didn't get mad at them and make them go to sleep. Wishing to satisfy the crowd is not leadership. You know what it really is? It is self-love. It's wanting the crowd to love you. It's not leadership. Pilate now is under the pressure. I want you to see here today that the pressure of leadership is big. And Pilate doesn't handle it well. He wishes to satisfy the crowd. And I want to remind you, that is not real leadership. And any responsibility that you have, and again, you may not be the boss or CEO or manager where you work, but there is leadership in every single one of your lives, right? Your rent has to be paid, right? Your car has to be filled up with gas, right? Your, 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 your trash has to be taken out, right? There is leadership in your world. And I want you to hear today, that for the glory of God, proper leadership does not give in to the pressures around it, but it does the right thing. This takes focus, this takes concentration, this takes discipline, this takes the real, real, real strong effort to say no to some things in order to produce the right things. You've got to understand this. The Jews do not like Jesus because he is claiming to be the savior of all people of the whole world, including the Jews. That's why they don't like him. So they want him dead. And now Pilate doesn't really see anything wrong with him, but now he's going to contribute to his death simply because the wishes of the crowd. Christians and churches, we're not concerned with the wishes of the crowd. It's a temptation, I know, it's a pressure, I know. But you've heard the popular phrase, we have an audience of one. We're living for the glory of God. Our eyes are on Christ. We are not to be distracted. We are to focus on what God wants. We'll let him handle the results. We'll let him handle the wishes of the crowd. We look to God and want to do the right thing no matter what. Pilate didn't understand this. The pressure of leadership got to him. So in verse 15, it says, Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas and then sent Jesus to be crucified. That's the pressure of leadership. Number two, the pain of Christ's suffering. The pain of Christ's suffering. After that exchange... Where he finally gives in, they're chanting, crucify him, the hatred that is out there. He finally lets Barabbas go. And it says there, I'm looking at the end of verse 15, it says, having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. 
There's that word here, scourged, right? What, what, what does that mean? What is that getting at? I got a little footnote in my Bible that says this, a Roman judicial penalty consisting of a severe beating with a multi-lashed whip containing embedded pieces of bone and metal. Here's what it was. A little wooden handle that had leather tied into it, often like braided up really, really strong. Wooden handle, leather going way out like a whip. But at the end of the whip, they had tied to it sharp bones and sharp pieces of metal. And as a way of, if somebody's going to be crucified, they would send them through this flogging. They would send them through this scourging because here's what would happen. And they would, they would just strip them of their clothes and they would just beat them and beat them and beat them. And really what it is, see, in a crucifixion, a crucifixion is, is, the, is the worst, most humiliating, uh, horrible way to die, but it takes a long time. That's one of the things that makes crucifixion so bad. It takes a long time to die in crucifixion because you don't die from the pain, you don't die from the, from the blood, you don't die from the nails, you die from suffocating. So as long as you're able to hang there on the cross, getting yourself able to breathe, you'll, you'll keep surviving on the cross. People have stayed on crosses for a long time. So one of the ways that they'll speed that up is they'll send them through this flogging and they will just really beat them and beat them and beat them. And, and, and what happens is it starts to mutilate the flesh. It will rip off muscles. It will rip off all your skin and they will just do it and do it and do it so that your body is depleted, completely exhausted, give out, horribly destroyed and then they'll nail you to the cross and you're so fatigued, you're so drained that you're not gonna last long on the cross. That's what this is. Pilate sends him there. I want to read to you one, one commentator's message on this. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Flogging was a cruel and merciless preparation for crucifixion. The New Testament shows no inclination to sensationalize the passion of Jesus by recounting its horrors. Its restraint and discretion, however, may leave modern readers ignorant of the savagery that preceded and attended a Roman crucifixion. As a prelude to crucifixion, one guy writes that the prisoner was stripped and bound to a post and beaten with a leather whip woven with bits of bone or metal. No maximum number of strokes was prescribed. The scourging lacerated and stripped the flesh, often exposing bones and entrails. One of its purposes was to shorten the duration of crucifixion, but scourging was so brutal that some prisoners died before they even reached the cross because of the flogging. Listen to this. Women were exempted from either suffering a flogging or even witnessing a flogging because it was so bad. Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, sent Jesus to be flogged. The pain of Christ's suffering cannot be explained well enough. Do you remember several years ago when Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out? Many of you have seen that. I remember then hearing so many people say, I just didn't realize it was that bad. I mean, wow, that was rough. It's hard to read it sometimes and realize how ugly and evil it is. But as you know, it's 
impossible to reenact a true flogging, right? And as you know, there's no rage like hatred that can be reenacted. Try as you might to make it look real, men hating a man and beating him to a bloody pulp, you're not going to simulate the real thing. This scene here in Mark is horrible. And the Bible wants us to get that this is horrible. It wants us to understand just how bad Christ's suffering was. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You remember my first point was about leadership? Here's how much power and responsibility leadership had in Pilate. He was able to just say, go scourge him. And they did. Now, why? Isn't it hard to get hateful towards somebody? Normally when we are starting to really hate something or someone, it's because they have wronged us so much, they've hurt us so deeply that that our hate rages out of us. And albeit misplaced, but it's usually a response to something. What was it that they hated so much about Jesus? Why is this happening? What's going on? And I want to move you now to my third and final point the penalty of sin. Jesus has already been asked multiple times, are you the king of the Jews? What have you done? Should I do this? And he's not speaking up. Jesus is not trying to avoid it. As horrible as it is as we study it, Jesus is not trying to get out of it. He's willing. He's willing. Now there is there in the passage this man, Barabbas. If you know anything, and I'm sure Marcus knows this, if you know anything about these names or these words, his name Barabbas means son of the father. Son of the father. And that's neat because on trial that day, you have Barabbas, son of the father, and Jesus, son of the father, right? And a decision has to be made. Which one should die? Which one should go? And if this was a movie and we were watching it, and you know, most movies tend to spin good and the good guy wins at the end, Right? Somehow this horrible story would turn at the very end to where Jesus comes out shining. But in our passage and in our story, that's not what happens. Why? Why does it go this way? 
I want to remind you of a message that the Bible is telling us through and through. You can look at many different passages throughout the Bible that God loves us. It's a theme throughout Scripture that God loves us. And just like the pressure of leadership can be so distorted and leaders think they're doing the right thing but they're doing the wrong thing and if it's going to affect a lot of people then we'll just lie about it or avoid it or do the wrong thing and nobody will know about it or hide this or sweep it under the rug. Just like leadership can be very distorted, listen to me folks, love can be very distorted. Sometimes we think it's loving wishing to satisfy the crowd. I would imagine, listen to me, that there were a lot of people that went home that day loving their comfortable, self-righteous lives physically, lives materially, lives spiritually in a broken down system that would not save them and get them to heaven. And I would imagine there were a lot of people that went home that day saying, I just love Pilate. So glad I voted for him. I'm so glad we've got him in his position. I mean, he really does look out for us and look out for our nation and look out for our people. I'm just so thankful for him. I'm so glad he didn't let that Jesus go. He loves us, Pilate does. And he's got Rome's best interest in mind. And this guy's trying to create an uproar See, sometimes love is distorted. But I want to remind you what the true love of God is like. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us in this. That he who knew no sin became our sin so that we in Christ could get his righteousness. Why is this happening? Why is this horrible, ugly story of a scourging and of a delivering up to be crucified, of a prisoner being set free, a murderer being set free, a robber being set free. Why is this here? Because without Christ dying, none of us could never know God. The only way for us to get right with God is through the crucifixion of Christ for our sins. That's why this is happening. Now think about this. Pilate begins seeking amnesty for Jesus, wanting to let him go, but he ends up seeking it for himself. You see how that turned? It began him wanting to let Jesus be free and right, but it ends with Pilate looking out for himself. The Jews, on the other hand, whose duty and responsibility is to obey, asserted their will. They won the day. They chanted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the governor is thus strangely governed. Pressure of leadership, the pain of his suffering, 
and the penalty of sin. Sin is a weird thing. Sin has us, folks, flawed in our hearts. The Bible describes it like this, that there's no one who understands God. We may know some things about God, think some things about God, may totally think we know him and love him, but we don't understand God. The Bible describes it like this, that everyone thinks they're right in their own eyes, but they're not right. See, sin has us blinded and crooked and and twisted, and at times we mean really well, and at times we're just a little bit off, and at times we are really trying to do what we think is right, and it's still wrong. At times we're trying to do what's right for the good of so many people, and it's still wrong. And the only answer to our sin problem is that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. That's the only answer. When Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place. He died for our sins. When Christ was on the cross, God punished him and killed Jesus. And all people everywhere must hear that, know that, and believe that in order to be forgiven of their sins and get right with God. Upon hearing that, Anybody, no matter matter how bad you are, will be set free from their sin, will be forgiven of their sin, will be washed clean of their sin, and will be right with God. See, this passage with Barabbas is often one that we just, we know about it, but we don't think much about it because to be quite honest, there are so many people who really struggle with justice in this passage, right? Right? I want to remind you of something here today. I don't really know what happened to Barabbas or what became of him. But I want to remind you here today that if you're a child of God, if you're a believer in Christ, that your story at the very depth of your heart is the same as Barabbas. Maybe not in the courtroom of society in the world, But in the courtroom of God, in the justice system with God, you and I are in the same position as Barabbas. Barabbas deserved to die for his sins. Jesus died instead of him. I want to ask you here today, if you have an an allegiance to Christ, knowing that what he's done is the only way that you'll be set free. Have you believed in Christ and asked him to forgive you of your sins? Do you realize that he did not deserve to die and he should not have died, but your sins, have you in a guilty spot, but you want forgiveness? See, we have to understand what Mark is doing here in this gospel in that he is totally highlighting that Barabbas is the one that's wrong, but Jesus takes his place. And so it is in life. You and I are the ones that are wrong, and Jesus took our place.
may we be trusting in him. Have you sought his forgiveness? See, when we get to heaven, if we make it, we won't be there because we're good. There's a lot of shallow talk about Christianity these days, and sometimes it's like, I used to be bad, then God made me good. And that's not right. I used to not know, and now I know. You know some of this stuff just doesn't make sense, what people are saying. Here's why we're going to be in heaven if we get there. Because our sins keep us out of heaven. And every single one of us who sin will not make it to heaven unless our sins have been removed. And the only way, and I mean the only way that your sins get removed is for you to be in Christ. And you get in Christ by asking him for forgiveness, believing he died for you. So when we get to the gate of heaven, whoever's asking, why should I let you in? Our first thing would be, well, I don't deserve to get in. I deserve to die for my sins. But God, your son, died for me. And if that is your only hope, That's all the hope you need. If that is your only answer, that's the only answer. Christ died for me. God so loved the world that he gave his son for us. If you don't know him, turn to him today. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the Lord Jesus suffering for sin and dying for the penalty of sin. Oh, Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts today that we would embrace you. Oh, God, lead us to repentance and to trust in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.